Hey guys, welcome back to episode 33. Yes, episode 33. It's just me tonight. Chantel had some more truck issues. Ugh, poor thing. She's had a lot of issues with her vehicle. And so it's just me tonight. It is 2.10 a.m. I had some distractions tonight and I still wanted to get the episode out on time. So here I am recording. I'm in my office kind of in the dark. I just have like two lights on in here just because the light I generally have on is way too fucking bright. So my story's kind of nuts, guys. I mean, a lot of my stories are, but this one I've been saving for a while and I was really hoping that Chantal would be here to experience this with me, but she's not. So you guys get to experience it with me. My sources are Vice Meets Video and the title of the video is called Interview with a Cannibal, Wikipedia and allthatsinteresting.com. The triggers are murder, necrophilia, cannibalism, a very brief mention of bestiality, severe mental illness, I cannot emphasize this enough, guys. Viewers, discretion is strongly advised. It is a grisly fucking story, man. Don't know how else to put it. Anyway. So, today, I'm going to tell you the crazy story of Issy, Issy, Izzy. I'm going to say Izzy. Sagawa, Japan's celebrity cannibal. Fuckle the buck up, man. The story is beyond fucked. I'm going to start off by reciting something Issei said in a video interview that he, well, this video interview that I mentioned, quote, sometimes I wonder why I did such a horrible thing. Maybe it's because I come from another planet or another dimension and I accidentally fell to earth like a meteorite disguised as a baby crying on the street. My mother walked by and took pity on me. I must have come from a place of cannibals and I'm the only one of my kind who exists on this planet. Is he trying to be Superman? This sounds like the Superman story. I mean, minus the cannibalistic part of it. You ain't Superman, dude. Just saying. You fucking psychopath. So, Issei was born on April 26th of 1949 in Kobe, Japan. I hope I'm saying that right. Kobe, Kobe, to a wealthy family. This allowed him to travel the world and study in numerous notable schools. He was born prematurely and was extremely frail through his childhood and apparently through adulthood as well. He was small enough that apparently he fit in the palm of his father's hand, which is pretty fucking itty bitty. He quoted in his video interview, without a doubt, my childhood was the best time of my life. I was carefree. My parents loved me deeply. They raised me lovingly, surrounded by nature. I was born prematurely. Doctors didn't think I would survive, and I remained weak to this day. I'm still short and frail. Back in the days when I was young, sex was still a taboo subject. I never, ever heard my parents say the word sex out loud. So when I reached a certain age and had an erection, I thought I was sick. 
I felt extremely embarrassed. I didn't know how to masturbate. So I did weird things like, here's one of those triggers, guys, making my dog lick it off. I think my sexual desires began to distort around that time. When I was in first grade, I was fascinated by a handsome boy's thighs. The first time I ever felt cannibalistic desires towards a woman, I was so shy, my hands shook and I felt like puking when I called her. But then I saw her pale thighs coming out from her skirt and made me want to taste her flesh, end quote. I know a lot of parents or people in general have a hard time discussing sexuality, but come on guys, it's a natural part of who we are. We all do it. And if we don't, it's still where we came from and making kids feel bad about feeling these emotions. And why is this happening to my body? That's just not okay. And it's not fair to leave them in the dark about it. We all go through it and it would be great. <laughs> Sorry, I'm tired again. If we had the support to help us, I'm in here with my animals and, oh, oh, I should mention, well, not should mention, but I didn't want to say anything, but my little girl had a heart attack, Steffi, my dog, and I'm keeping her very close just to make sure she's okay, that she's not showing any permanent effects from it, but you might hear her pacing, which she always does anyway. So we all go through this people. And I know you guys know this. It would just be amazing if we had the support to help us through this, uh, I don't know, transition that we're not aware of and we need people to be able to talk to about it. Kids, I mean, anybody, but these kids have no idea what's going on with their fucking bodies. I know I didn't. At the end of the day, these, they feel like failures. They feel like they're doing something bad, which they're not. They're just trying to understand what's happening with their bodies. And a lot of these people, children end up punishing themselves. Not okay. This has nothing to do with religion. In my experience, however, my religious parents didn't talk to myself or my siblings about any of that because it was bad. You just didn't talk about it. Like they weren't doing it. I can get into so many things, but I'm not going to. Some of them weren't faithful. Not my mom, my dad. He was a sack of shit. But you know, as long as you're religious, hey, you can do it. So this is too much information, people, but I'm, I'm fucking getting into it. I got my period when I was 10. I may, I may have actually mentioned that <laughs> in another episode, or uh, maybe I thought I did, but whatever. I had no idea what a period was. And I was at school, I wasn't feeling well. And my house was just outside the school. So I always went home for lunch with my brother, and my sister. So I know I wasn't feeling well, I went to the washroom. And I was bleeding. So I thought I was dying. I started screaming and crying. My mom came to the washroom. And she saw what was going on, didn't say a word, 
she left. She asked my little sister, who's four years younger than me, so she was six at the time, to go get me a fresh pair of underwear, which she did. And then she came back into the washroom with the pair of underwear my sister grabbed for me and gave me what looked like a fucking cotton brick, which is what maxi pads looked like at the time. And they felt like it too between your legs. She told me to stick it on my panties and sent me off to school thinking I was dying. She didn't explain what was going on. Even though she saw me fucking ball my elbows out and she knew I thought I was dying because I said that to her. I, I'm, I'm bleeding to death. I'm going to die. So I went to school and I was sitting in class and my teacher, her name was Miss Burke. And by the way, Miss Burke, you were like amazing and I love you. I don't know if you're still around, but thank you for everything you did for me. She came to me because she saw me crying and asked me what was wrong. And I told her, Miss Burke, I'm dying. So of course she was like, what? And of course asked for deets. So I told her and then all of a sudden she was like, you know, she kind of like the, the fear on her face went away and it was like a, a, a relief. And I was like, well, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> You're happy I'm dying. And she said, well, I think you need to go see the school nurse, which I did. And that's how I learned about my period. So um, not from the parent that sent me to school thinking I was dying. I learned it from the school nurse. And I just think there's too many parents out there that do that. And listen, some of us are uncomfortable talking about shit and that is okay. Find someone else to fucking talk to your kid about it. If you can't, there's nothing wrong with that. Just don't fucking let them think they're dying or they're bad because I don't know, they ever just to masturbate. Just a thought. We all need to learn that keeping kids in the dark, especially when they have questions and they're confused and they think it's bad. We, we got to fix that. We got to fix that mentality. And I know a lot of people are good about it. And I applaud you. I really do. But the rest of you, come on, guys. Get with the fucking times. Rant over. I promise. So <laughs> maybe this Japanese hobbit wouldn't have resorted to his cannibalistic ways if he understood that an erection didn't mean he was a sicko. Oh, by the way, when I say hobbit... This poor bastard was only four foot nine. He had, he had a lot of things going against him. <laughs> so I'm sure his parents not talking to him about sex wasn't the only thing, but still not good. He later admitted that if a cute girl woman happened to walk down the street, uh, he would wonder if he could actually go through with potentially eating her. He studied English literature at Waco, Waco, <laughs> oh shit, Waco, that is how I'm pronouncing it from now on, <laughs> but I think it's Waco, W-A-K-O, University in Japan. That's when he discovered that he enjoyed the arts. He was extremely attracted and apparently 
extremely obsessed with tall, blonde Western women with soft skin. This obsession started when he was very young. He was a little boy. I can't remember the age. There was a few discrepancies online, but he was little. While attending uh, this college, he was about 24 at the time. He followed a tall German woman home and broke into her home while she was sleeping. He wanted to eat her by slicing off her butt and sneaking away with that flesh. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, guys. She woke up. She shoved this hobbit off of her and pushed him to the ground. He was obviously caught and charged with attempted rape. Those charges were dropped when daddy came in and rescued him with a paid settlement to the victim. He obviously didn't admit what his initial intention was to eat her. I mean, why would you? As a child, he became fascinated with books with cannibalistic characters. His favorite, which, by the way, is fucking messed up when you actually think about it. And I remember thinking about this when I was a child. Maybe some of you others did as well. But we all know the story. We read it. It was read to us. Hansel and Gretel, people. It's fucked up. Uh, I remember asking my parents about it. They they didn't understand it. They were never raised with that. It was just something I learned in school. And when I brought it up to my mom, she was like, what? Like, it was just like, it's a book from school. Just, you know, it's fucking messed up. Uh, never read it to my kid because it was fucked up. Unfortunately, he heard about it in school. But like, come on. Yes. Super fucked up story that a lot of us have heard. Like, what's the message we're sending with this? Like, I really want to know. I actually have asked some adults when I was younger and no one could explain it. Mind you, obviously, it wasn't the the Grimm's version, but still fucked up. Just saying. So. This sad, sad sack of shit moved to Paris after he finished his studies in Tokyo to take a specialized course. His parents obviously paid for everything. He was described as a quiet, reserved, and smart individual. He was 27 at the time and was set to bring a prostitute home almost nightly and wanted to shoot them, but would freeze and not be able to go through with it. Luckily for those women... And men, maybe. I don't know. I'm guessing just women. From everything I read about this this person. While in Paris, he met 25-year-old Renee Hartelev... Oh, shit. Hart... Evel... Hartevelt? I'm laughing, but it's not funny because I'm uh, positive I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. And I'm so sorry to the family and anyone with that last name. She was described as extremely smart and could speak three different languages. He was very attracted to her because she fit the description of his perfect woman. She was tall, all that jazz. He wanted to get to know her and really didn't know how to go about it. So he ended up hiring her to teach him German. So she did. They became friends. 
and they actually enjoyed similar things such as art, which he was very into, literature and poetry. He said that he fell in love with her and felt comfortable admitting this to her. He was always giving her gifts and would take her to different places. In his head, unfortunately, they were dates. But she only saw him as a friend and reminded him of this repeatedly. She made sure he understood. Dude, we're friends. He said, quote, I didn't acknowledge Renee's existence until the end of the course. She was so beautiful. I'd never seen a woman like her before. I didn't want to be caught staring, so I made a sketch of her. Maybe if we had had dinner, I wouldn't have eaten her. By the way, I love the excuses this man makes through all of this, this hobbit. I lied to her that my professor wanted some German poetry recorded and translated. That was the pretext. She didn't doubt a thing. I chose the poetry, end quote. He again told her that he loved her when she was at his place and he tried to kiss her, but she kept rejecting him and, and his advances and kept reminding him, dude, friends, I'm here to help you. You've hired me to help you with German, <laughs> your German poetry translation. So after her last rejection, he went into the kitchen and was pretending to look for a bottle opener for wine in an attempt to try and diffuse and de-escalate the situation because, I mean, she was not okay with it, but instead he ended up grabbing his rifle. That Thursday, he killed his fellow college student with a bullet to the head. Before dismembering her, he had sex with her corpse. In his interview, he said, quote, I reached for the gun while she was reading. I tried talking to her with a smile on my face, trying to diffuse. I was really scared. Yet I did pull the trigger. She kept on talking until suddenly she felt silent. First, she collapsed onto the desk, then fell to the ground with the chair. I laid a towel over her head, then undressed her. I had everything planned out in my head from which part I would start feasting on and, and such, starting with her ass. I thought it looked most delicious. It had to be the right cheek, not the left. The left is closer to the heart and I'm scared of blood. I abruptly bit into it, but it was too hard to bite into. I hurt my jaw. <laughs> I tried cutting in to it with a fruit knife, but it didn't go through. I gave up and went to the market. I bought a carving knife. So an electrical carving knife, by the way, guys. Finally, it went through the flesh. I thought I'd see red meat right away, but there was a yellow corn-like substance, which I later found out was fat. I had to cut in deeply to reach the red meat. I don't remember if I sliced it off or if I tore it off with my fingers. End quote. It say dismembered her body and kept it at his house for 
I think it was like three or four days. So a few days where he consumed her flesh until <sighs> she started decomposing and he needed to dispose of the rest of her. So again, a quote from him. June is the hottest month in Paris. I was afraid the corpse would rot. I had to get rid of it. I thought I had to cut the body up. After finishing my graduate program, I wanted to go to Greece. So I took a luxury boat and shared a table with a butcher and his wife. He was a fat and jolly man. And he explained to me how to butcher meat. After the incident, I wrote to him a thank you letter, but he never wrote back. Cutting a body up isn't easy. I bought two traveling bags. It wasn't easy getting the body into them. The torso is extremely heavy. It's really hard to cut to begin with. It's nothing like a horror movie. He then called a cab and the quote continues. When the cab driver picked up my suitcases filled with her body, it was so heavy. He asked if there was a corpse in it. I told him it was books. I was a fool to not realize how bright it was still at 8 p.m. in the summer. Many people were still outside sunbathing. I didn't know where to get out, but I just had to. Eventually, everyone was staring at me and I found, a, I found a quiet place. I pushed the bags down the slope to the lake. I didn't have the energy left. The sun was settling on the lake. Everything turned red and beautiful. I saw an old man with a child. For the first time, everything was in color. While I was being fascinated by it, I heard someone scream. I looked behind me and saw a man opening up my bag. He asked if it was mine. And if I had just told him it was, he may have just left. But impulsively, I said no. So he opened it to find a bed sheet covered in blood. He screamed murderer to a woman uphill. And I simply walked away, end quote. Four days later, he was arrested. When the police caught him, he still had pieces of her body in his fridge. Quote from him. I really felt relieved, I thought. Now I can finally communicate with people. I was interrogated by three psychiatrists, end quote. His father had provided a lawyer for him for his defense. He was held for two years while awaiting his trial and found legally insane and unfit to stand trial by a French judge who ordered him to be held in a mental institution indefinitely. Quote, they concluded I was mentally insane. I was sent to a criminal psychiatric ward before they could start treating me. The French public grew upset at me being kept at their expense. Therefore, I was deported and sent back to Japan. After arriving in Narita, Japan, it seems as though they had already made up their minds about me that I was mentally ill. Without undergoing any treatment, I was forced to leave the hospital. I, I'm like furrowing my brows right now because what the fuck? What the actual fuck? While at the Mat 
Suzawa Hospital in Tokyo, the examining psychiatrist said that he was sane and found that sexual perversion was his sole motivation for murder. So the charges that were laid against him in France were dropped. French documents were sealed and not released to the Japanese authorities. So the Japanese authorities couldn't legally detain him. Fucking loophole. And he was released. Like, what the actual fuck? He's got, he's got books with gory, de- uh, gory pictures and everything. But, you know, he was a free man for the rest of his fucking life. The rest of what I'm going to say is literally all a quote from his interview. I mean, a lot of this was, but there was a lot of not accurate information online. There was a lot of misinformation and I figured the interview was probably most accurate. So, quote, I had no job, no income. One day I got a call from the media. A serial kidnapper and murderer had been arrested For some reason, they wanted to interview me. Japan was in an economic bubble back then. They easily put 10 to 20 grand on the table for me and asked me to write an article. It eventually led me to write a book and many more. The book caused many trouble with the publisher. I translated my psychiatric examination report and used it. The pictures of the incident were used. Again, not good, guys. Like, uh, oh my God, when I post these, ugh, when I post these photos, I will have a caption because they are uh, fucking grisly. When I look at them, I just think horror movie. They're not real to me, but I know they are. That's how I cope. So, those pictures were used. It shouldn't have been published. And everyone asks me to sign their books. Japanese people nowadays are really stupid. They have the same mentality as I, a terrible criminal. This is him, by the way, (laughs) saying this while he's showing the dismembered body of Renee in the books that he wrote. Quote, this is Renee. I haven't paid rent for five months now. I might be kicked out any day. If I'm kicked out, I will just have to kill myself. Who knows when I'll die. When I'm alive, I want to be in this apartment. Therefore, I don't want to waste my energy on stupid things. But in reality, I have to be vulgar to survive. End quote. He was pitched a lot of stupid shit by people. They were just fascinated with the story. They went on to make a number of videos, and this included soft core porn. Apparently, he was done with the Western woman. Quote, I've graduated from Western women. I'm only into Japanese women, especially from Okinawa. They're really cute. I even feel an appetite. My first crush was Akiko Yada. She's an actress. My next crush was Aya Ueto. I still like her, especially when she was young. Kyoko Hasegawa, 
Her legs are so beautiful. Aya Ueto is too good to eat. I want to bury my head in her armpit and die. That is going to be the title of this episode. I've decided it just now. Of course, okay, this is him again. Of course, they're beautiful and I think they look delicious. I am such a pervert, end quote. While getting ready for the porn he was in, uh, this this is what happened between <laughs> the people interviewing the poor girl that was going to be in this, him. It, it's just like all fucked up. So he puts in his VHS tape while he's doing his interview to show the rest of the world this porn. So, quote, this is the best stuff for masturbating. And he laughs. It's quite long. And again, like I said, he is uh, the one in this porn. So barf. Here, she still doesn't know anything about me. They interviewed her before she met him and started filming. And she was told that he was an interesting character and she was actually kind of excited. She didn't know what it meant. And she said that, but you know, she was excited. Then they interviewed him and just said to him not to say anything to her about his past. And he said, Nope, I will not let her know about my cannibalism. He said, quote, I won't tell her at first. I'll show her my books after we've had sex. I'll casually show her the pictures. Then I'll let her look through it by herself. End quote. The guy interviewing him is shown the pictures as he's explaining how he's going to tell her. And there are extremely grisly fucking pictures, guys. Holy fucking shit. It's definitely not from the faint of heart. The guy interviewing him asks if they're real. Then he says, quote, this is crazy. You even cut off her breasts, end quote. And Asay said, quote, yes, I did. I ate one, but it was only fat and wasn't good, end quote. The guy interviewing him says that the director has a requirement for him and this 21-year-old to have sex three times. While the video is playing, you can see him and her sitting in the room and he says, quote, I'm telling her what I did in the past after we had sex. You can see her slowly kind of like crawling into the back and like covering her legs because she was in shock. I'm sure what he was telling her wasn't registering. It may have seemed like a joke, but she was trying to understand what was going on. He explained how he killed her. And she replied with, quote, I still can't grasp it as a reality. Oh, and by the way, she is not in his apartment at this point. So she's saying this to the douchebag that was interviewing her and him prior to them having sex. So she said, I still can't grasp it as a reality. What is this? She asks. So she's basically looking at photos in his book of this corpse and the, the stuff that he did to this corpse. And then says, Renee's flesh was in the fridge. You put it in the fridge. 
and he responded, I have an urge to drink your urine and swallow your saliva. She looked at him in horror. Again, I think, I think it was just like the shock of it all. And, uh, after 24 hours, so that was another obligation. I guess they had 24 hours to fuck those three times. So after the 24 hours, she could leave. And there were obviously other people there. So she was somewhat safe. So while she was in the vehicle with the douchebag that was interviewing them before, she said, I understand that he is full of insecurities. I think it's selfish to let his fantasies go so wild or it's like he's lacking something, end quote. She's crying while she's saying this and then continues with, I'm just in a state of shock right now. He said that this was filmed 15 years ago. This is when I was still caught up in the incident. So apparently she became a good friend to him. So he's quoted saying she became a good friend to me. Thanks to her, my twisted desires towards women have slowly but surely changed. My parents died from different illnesses, but almost simultaneously I was too shocked to even cry. I realized you can't even cry when you're in real shock. It makes me wonder if my parents' death is so painful and that's why I can't feel anything. I can't feel remorseful for what I've done. Why don't I feel the same shock? Even to this day, the moment I try, my mind freezes. No one calls no one writes and no one visits me. I'm in absolute solitude. I know I'm already crazy. When I feel a cannibalistic urge, I suppress it by masturbating. If I can't release my sexual desires, my appetite grows. I become impotent and cannot masturbate. I'm terribly worried now that I can't suppress my cannibalistic desires by masturbating. I feel my cannibalism might emerge again. I'm 61 now and still can't figure out what this is all about. I don't even know who I am. I mean, I thought he was Superman or at least he made a story sound like he thought he was Superman. Anyway, again, him talking, <laughs> nor the meaning of my life. My life will never get better boo fucking who for you dude again him talking it would have been much easier to die i really wish they would have given me this death sentence death is my only hope recently more than the urge to eat someone i have the urge to be killed i want to die suffering slowly torn apart alive. Of course, I'd rather be killed by a beautiful woman than a man. Yet again, it is my fantasy, end quote. Believe it or not, guys, I actually left out a lot of the grizzly details. Uh, some of it, oh, some of it I just couldn't uh, say out loud. But if you really want to know, you can look it up. Uh, although I think I may have crossed a border with most people that are generally okay with this kind of shit, but 
I gave you guys the warnings. Just saying. So, this sad sack of shit died due to complications of pneumonia at a hospital in Tokyo on November 24th of 2022. He was 73. He literally got to live the rest of his life free he expressed the want and desire to hurt again and nothing was done um he got to live to 73 and that was sad he definitely should not have had that privilege and maybe, maybe he did hurt other people and we just don't know about it yet. The justice system is so fucked up sometimes. And I know every country is different, but holy fucking shit, Japan. <clears throat> just because you can get the records from the fucking French. Oh, he's free. <laughs> he published books. He published books with photos that he took of the process while he was Pulling this woman apart. Like I said, they're grisly. Uh, I, the only way I could deal with these photos when I saw them was to just go, yep, it's a horror movie. They're not real. That's how grisly they are. It's fucked up. Anyway, that's my horrible, gross story. My only message, I suppose, from everything I've said tonight is... Uh, we're humans and it's okay to talk about sex and it's okay to talk about feelings. It's okay to express them and, uh, shame on you. If you make people feel horrible and ashamed for bringing it up, shame on you. <laughs> you guys might hear Leo. Oh, there he is right, right over there. He snores really loud, so my mic actually might pick it up. And if you hear it, it's Leo. Yep. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Did I wake you? I'm sorry. I know. Mommy's, mommy's horrible for waking you. He's an old man. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. It is past 3 a.m., and I still need to edit this. And apparently I'm not getting to bed till at least. Ugh, I don't even want to think about it. So good night. I love you guys. And I will have another, maybe not so gruesome story, but another awesome story next week. Good night, bitches.